Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to Romans chapter number eight, the book of Romans and chapter number eight. And if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word and we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. And uh, how you'll find where we are in our study is across the top of the page, you'll find the word Romans and then you're going to look for big number eight, all right, that's called Romans and then the big number is a chapter, all right, so chapter and then number eight and you're going to be verse number number or the small number four. So Romans chapter eight, verse four. So big eight, small four. And once you've found your place there, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of the word of God? Romans chapter number eight, verse number four. Our Bible preaching and teaching method here at First Baptist Church is simply to go next chapter, next verse, as we carefully diligently walk through God's word together. And we are this morning in Romans chapter number eight. This is a wonderful chapter, a a series of sermons out of this chapter that we're calling Life with the Spirit. Life with the Spirit. Man, life with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of life, also known as the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, why is, why is this section of Romans called life with the Spirit? Well, look at verse number two. That for the law of the Spirit. Look at verse one. After the Spirit. Look at verse four. After the Spirit. Verse five. Things of the Spirit. Look at verse nine. The Spirit of God. Look at verse, the end of verse nine. The Spirit of Christ. Look at verse 10, the spirit is life. Look at verse 11, the spirit of him that raised Jesus up from the dead. Look at the end of verse 11, the spirit that dwelleth in you. Look at verse 13, that through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. Look at verse 14, led by the spirit of God. Look at verse 15, the spirit of adoption. Look at verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness. Do we need to keep going? Do you see why we call this the chapter of life with the Spirit? How many go, oh, that's why it's called that. I got it now. We see, okay. So this is about what the believer has through the Holy Spirit, which indwells us, right? So the moment you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you received pardon and forgiveness of sins from God by purchase of Jesus' death on the cross, but also you were given as a gift, a sealing, the Holy Spirit of God. We, we talked about this last week, but back up a chapter. It's chapter 5, verse number 5. That hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us, which is given unto us. And we said, this is a study on what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So last week it was verse number one. There is therefore now no condemnation. Listen, God does not regret saving you. 
God does not regret bringing you into his family. God is not displeased with the product that he's received in me. I know I have a battle. I have a struggle. That's Romans 7. And I have things that I do that I don't want to do. I know the things that I should do, I don't do. And I have all this, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I have all this guilt and baggage and, and regret and things I wish I could change. So how do we find victory over that? Well, we begin by remembering that God does not regret bringing you into his family. He does not regret that. There is now no condemnation. Okay, look at verse 4. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, okay, carnally there, the flesh, okay, to be fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, the, the, the fleshly mind is enmity against God. It, it's opposed, it's enemies, it's hostile toward God. And it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So, so here's the point we're going to drive at. We'll show you three things in this text that help us understand it. But here's the point we're going to drive at. The Holy Spirit, what's his benefit? Benefit number one, he reminds us we have no condemnation. God does not regret bringing you into his family. The benefit of the Holy Spirit, number two, the benefit of the Holy Spirit is that he leads us to live a life that is pleasing to God. The benefit of having the Holy Spirit in your life is that he leads us to live a life that is pleasing to God. We'll unpack that in these four verses Lord willing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word. Use it in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Listen to it in verse number four. Walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So what, he's, what he wants us to do then is he wants us to walk after the spirit. So walking after the Spirit implies that there is this steady, gradual progress toward this goal. What is the goal? The goal is that we are headed toward Christ. So walking in the Spirit means there is this continual, steady progress in the life of the believer as we now move toward Christ. And the implication is that as we move toward Christ, walking in the Spirit, that we are moving away from walking in the flesh toward death. And that as we walk toward Christ in the Spirit, we move toward life and peace. 
And that when we walk in the flesh toward death, we move toward frustration, discontentment, regret, guilt, baggage. Because we want to be walking in the spirit. How do we how do we do that? How do we walk in the spirit? That's that's really the question. Remember when my kids began to walk. How many of you can remember when your children started to walk, right? I remember Gabriel standing at the edge of the couch and his knees wobbling and he's hanging on and he's ga-ga-goo-goo, right? And, and standing there and Amanda goes, look, David, uh, Gabriel learned to walk. And I'm like, okay, yeah. He goes, Go over there. He'll walk to you. And he's standing like this, you know, and he's looking at me. I'm across the room. I'm like, okay, Gabriel, walk, walk to dad. Come on, walk, walk to dad. And he's, he does this. Amanda turns him around, stabilizes him for a second. And then Gabriel, these little chubby baby legs, his big old baby head, right? He does this. And then he does this. And then he falls flat on his face, right? And I'm like, what happened? He walked. No, he didn't. He fell. No, 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 he was walking. Look, watch it again. She stands him up. Okay, Gabriel, walk to dad. I'm like, okay, he can make it this time. Come on, walk. Gaga, goo goo, flat over on his face, right? And man is videoing the whole thing. Oh, my baby is walking. He's not walking, he's falling. He's not walking. What, 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 what do we say when our children do that? Wow, baby's first steps. Wow, the baby is walking. Wow, we're so happy the baby can walk. And what are we, what are we talking about? Walking. He, he didn't walk across the room. Obviously, he takes after his mother. He has no ability to walk whatsoever. You say, no, that, what, what kind of dad would I be if I said that? Man, I'd be, I'd be an awful dad. And we say, man, we're so happy he learned to walk. We're so happy they learned to walk. And what are we saying? Man, there was, there's, this, there's this progress. There's this growing. There's this gradual moving toward the goal. Man, walk in the spirit. Progress. Moving toward the goal. And what is the goal? The goal is Christ. The goal is Christ. Has Paul had a moment where he's fallen on his face? Yes, that's Romans 7. Romans 7 was Paul pushing away from the couch and he going, one, two, and then his big baby head forces him to fall over and the things that he would not, those he do, and the things that he would, those he does not. But he's making progress in his Christian growth. A walk after this, after the Spirit. Not only does God put our sin on Christ, but He puts Christ's righteousness in us. That's what this passage is helping us understand. And not only does God put our sin on Christ, but then He takes Christ's righteousness and He places it in us. This is the full gift of substitutionary atonement. It's one of those $5 words. It's like a really big concept. What does it mean? It means He traded us places that He did not just take our sin, but that He took our sin and in return He gave us His righteousness. Look at verse 4. Look at the verse with me. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in 
us that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. How is it fulfilled in us? How is Christ's righteousness now fulfilled inside of you and me? The answer is through the Holy Spirit of God. That's the answer. How is Christ's righteousness fulfilled in me? Here it is. Through the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We were created in Christ Jesus. That's our forgiveness of sin. Created in Christ Jesus made someone brand new that which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. We're created in Christ Jesus on two good works, which God has ordained. He's purposed, he's planned that we should walk in them. Okay, so we see three things. You have an outline and I want you to jot some of these ideas down. So I want you to remember what we talked about this morning. So, so look at number one. How, how do, or how does rather the Holy Spirit lead us to live a life that's pleasing to God? Well, first, notice that the flesh and the spirit are incompatible. The flesh and the Spirit are incompatible. It, we, we've already been studying this, so I won't belabor the point, but there's the war that's taking place in Romans 7. And in Romans 7, what's happening? Paul is saying, I know what I ought to do, but I can't seem to do it. And I know what I shouldn't do, but I, I find myself doing that over and over again. And you remember that illustration we had where we had Michael up here and we had Derek up here and we were talking about this war that happens inside of us. Well, how we understand that spiritually is we understand that now there are two natures living inside of us. The, the old man and the new man. Okay, so now there's the spirit, this person that we've been made since we've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we still do war and battle with the flesh. And so this is, this is why the struggle exists inside of us, because there is the flesh warring with the spirit. And it's simple to understand that the goal of the spirit is not the goal of the flesh. And the goal of the flesh is not the goal of the spirit. Watch. Where the flesh is taking you is not the same place that the spirit is taking you. And where the spirit is taking you, that is not the same place that the flesh is taking you. That's what he's telling us. This is happening inside of you as a believer even right now. Even right now as you listen to God's word being taught, the flesh is taking you one way and the spirit is taking you another way. You know, the flesh is warring with the spirit. Notice verse 5. For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They mind the things of the flesh. They're, they're, they're giving attention, paying attention. All their focus, all their uh, direction is on what? The things of the flesh. They mind the things of the flesh. I remember last year being in, in, uh, in London, we're riding the tube in London, the subway is what we call it here in the States. The subway, and you get off the subway and you hear this thing, it says, mind the gap, right? They're talking, they're talking about this, this separation between the subway car and the platform that you can walk up the stairs and out onto the street for. There's this gap there and it says, mind the gap. Actually, it says, mind the gap. That's actually how it sounds. Mind the gap. And you, you step over the gap. What's it say? Mind it. Pay attention. Mind the things of the flesh. 
The flesh minds the things of the flesh, and then the spirit minds the things of the spirit. It pays attention to it. And notice, these things are happening. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. But they that are of the spirit, the things of the spirit. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. Okay, so when we pay only attention and do only the things of the flesh, what happens? Death. And to be spiritually minded, to pay attention to the things of the spirit, is what? Well, that's life, he says. And that's, that's peace. Notice verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So there's, there's two, two categories, if you want to understand it that, in that way, inside of the believer, and they're absolutely opposed to one another. Galatians says that the flesh wars with the spirit so that you cannot do the things that you would. It, this is what keeps you. This is everything Paul is saying in Romans 7 and Romans 8. It keeps you from doing the things that you cannot do. It is not subject to the law of God, he writes on. Verse number 7. It is not subject to the law of God. Notice the end of that. Neither indeed can be. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. The Bible says that the flesh is hostile toward God. The flesh is hostile toward God. And when we are operating in the flesh, we may be alive physically, right? but we are not alive spiritually. We, we may be alive physically, but we may not be active spiritually. We may be alive physically, operating in the flesh, minding the things of the flesh, but it's always working death into our lives. Let, let, me, let, me, let me make it a little bit simpler to understand. There, there are things that we want to do in the flesh that we ought not to do. Do you understand that as a believer? There are some things in the flesh that we want to do that we ought not do. You say, why is that important to point out? Because our culture's framework says everything against that. You see, our culture says, no, 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 no. If you feel like you ought to do it, then you should do it. See, our, our culture says, if you feel as if this is something good, well, then it must be good because you wouldn't feel like it's good if it, if it weren't actually good. Our culture says, if you have this kind of uh, a desire or appetite, if you have this, this sort of inclination, if, if you have this, this pull this way, well, then you must act on that desire. You must act on that appetite. You must act on that inclination because obviously you are meant to do it because you are feeling as if you ought to do our culture's dominant framework, we've said this before, says is equals ought. Is equals ought. It means that what you are is what you should be or ought to do. That what you feel about yourself, what you believe about yourself, what you perceive about yourself should be embraced, not stifled. It, it, it should be accepted, not rejected. It should be, it should be affirmed, not, not, not judged. 
There's a, there's a, a billboard. It's, it, actually, I've seen it at several locations around, around Southern California, but it sits over here on Atlantic. I saw it on my run in from my house to church on one Monday morning. And the, 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 the sign reads, I think we may have a picture of it. The sign reads, your feelings are your superpowers. This is, this is the picture of it. Your feelings are your superpowers. Right? The, 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 the philosophical assumption behind that understanding, your feelings are your superpowers, means is equals ought. That, that if someone tries to tell you just because you feel like you should, you should not. It might be a bad thing. It, it might be an ungodly thing. It might be an awful thing. It might be a terrible thing. That if someone tries to tell you that, they're, they're in fact, they're, they're infringing on your superpower. They're, they're infringing on who you are really meant to be and how can you really be happy if you aren't giving in to your feelings. Sometimes, listen, sometimes even well-meaning Christians give in to this idea. Sometimes even as Christians, we, th- we say things like, well, why would God give me a desire if he didn't want me to fulfill the desire? Well, why would God give me a feeling if he didn't want me to act on the feeling? But listen, God's ultimate goal is not your happiness. God's ultimate goal for you is your holiness. God's ultimate goal, the reason he is doing what he is doing in your life is not your happiness. The reason he is doing what he is doing in your life is for your holiness. And it is your holiness that leads you to the ultimate happiness that you're really looking for. You see, this strikes. Why why, why is it important to recognize the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other? Why is it important to identify that? Because we need to understand that just because we have a feeling does not necessarily mean that that feeling is from God. That is very important to understanding what... Living a life that's pleasing to the Lord, it's very important to understand that that's where it begins. Notice there's markedly different outcomes in this conflict. That the flesh, they that mind the flesh, they that do mind the things of the flesh, they are after the spirit, and they that after the spirit. The mindset of the flesh produces a certain thing. The mindset of the spirit produces another thing. If you want a picture of that, what that is, I'll give you some homework, okay? Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul lists out what the works of the flesh looks like, and then he lists out what the fruits of the spirit looks like. And he says, these These are very separate things that when you're giving into the flesh, here is what it looks like in your life. And when you're giving in the spirit, here is what it looks like in your life. But all of it results in what? It results in verse number eight. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the result. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Yeah, but pastor... Last week you said, there is now therefore no condemnation. God doesn't regret saving me and bringing me into his family. So are believers pleasing to God? The answer to that question is yes. But believers are not pleasing to God because we are perfect. 
Believers are pleasing to God because the believer has the mindset of the spirit. He desires the things of the spirit. The believer has a mindset that says, I want to do the things of God. I want to please God. I want to live for God. I want to do the things of the Spirit, which is living for God. The fleshly mindset says, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do the things of God. I want to do the things of Dave. And the things of Dave, well, that's going to make me happy because my feelings are my superpowers. No, no, no. Your feelings lie. And your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the result of doing the things of Dave leads to death and destruction and, and the ultimate end. But when you give yourself to live to the things of the Spirit, when you walk after the Spirit, when you go toward, when you mind the Spirit, well, that leads to life and peace. Because minding the flesh and minding the Spirit are not the same thing. They have markedly different outcomes. Let me add a word here. Simply doing good works, that is not enough for salvation. Good works will not earn you salvation. And Paul has spent six chapters arguing this point. Anyone who teaches you that your good works or because of your good works that you are granted forgiveness of sins in, and salvation is teaching the anti-gospel. It's a false religion. Good works are not needed for salvation. Only thing needed for salvation is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace are we saved, listen, through faith and that not of ourselves It is the gift of God, not of works. And when you, by faith, accepted Jesus as your Savior, planted in you and dwell in you, living in you, is the Holy Spirit of God who is pulling you in a direction that is opposite of the way that your flesh is pulling you. And now... What should the believer do? Should mind the things of the Spirit. That's what it means to walk after the Spirit. The flesh and the Spirit are incompatible. Number two. Okay, okay, I got it. Flesh and Spirit are incompatible. Not not every feeling I have I should act on. They don't have the same end. Okay, I got it, Pastor. How do we do that? Ready? Number two. Number two. We internally walk after the Spirit. So, look at the beginning. Verse four. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. Look at this this little preposition. In. Us. 
that the righteousness of the law, that, that word in, it's a really big word. I mean, it's small in size, but it's big in meaning, okay? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. You'll see this later on. We'll see this in particular next week. Look at verse number nine. The Spirit of God dwell in you. Look at verse number 10. Christ be in you. Look at verse number 11. That the, the, the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Look at the end of verse number 11. The Spirit that dwelleth in you. Are you watching it? Do you see it? You catch it? How do I walk after the Spirit then? How do I mind the things in the Spirit? This is something that is internal, not external. Watch. So it's not like this. Okay, I got to mind the things of the Spirit. What do I know about the Spirit? The Spirit produces fruit in our lives. That fruit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5. So I have to think only joyful thoughts. I'm going to make myself be joyful. Ready? Go. Be joyful. Be joyful. Be joyful. Be joyful. Be joyful. Because that's the things of the Spirit. Okay. Be, be loving, be loving, be loving, be loving. They cut you off in traffic. Be loving, I want to be loving. I'm going to lovingly give you a nudge. Is this, so, so is this how we do this now? So now what we do is we like, try really hard and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to think any bad thoughts about her. I'm not going to think any bad thoughts about him. I'm not going to say this about them. I'm not gonna, it's just a prayer request. It's not a bad thought. It's not gossip. It's just a prayer request because I'm walking in the Spirit. So let me tell you what I heard, and let's pray, because I'm spiritual. Now that the righteousness of the law might be, might be fulfilled in us, in us, that's important, in us. We go after the Spirit, how? Watch. We go after the Spirit internally. Christian righteousness, Christian holiness, Good works done by a believer and obedience is not simply an external thing. It's internal. It's not simply external. It's internal. Because it's possible to be someplace externally, look here, but someplace else internally. How many of you know what I mean? How many of you are there right now? I mean, I'm sitting in this seat, but I'm thinking about groceries and this and It's an internal going after the Spirit. Look at verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Walking after the Spirit is a product of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That when we became believers, the Spirit took up residence in our heart and our lives. And he begins to produce in the life of the believer righteousness. So that to be disobedient to God causes the believer to fight against himself. You're fighting against your own self. Why? Because the Spirit lives in you. The Spirit enables us first with an attitude. Like think, think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Can you buy any of that at the bookstore on your way out? 
How many of you would like to just be able to buy just like a little, a little glass of love that you can just, you know, kick back and then you can, that's not called coffee. I just want you to know. No, these are internal attitudes that the Holy Spirit produces inside of you. And as he produces this inside of you, listen, walking in the Spirit is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit living in you. So that first it's this attitude inside of you, and then it works its way into your action. How do I get into my action? That's the gap, the gap between the attitude of the Spirit inside of you and your action outside of you. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to walk in the way in which you should. Think of it like the engine car of a train. Think a long train, you have an engine car, and it's pulling all these other train cars down the track. So are the other cars keeping up with the engine? Are the other cars in the train, are they working really hard, being really religious, going to church, giving tithes and offerings, right? They're, they're keeping up with the engine. Are the other cars keeping up with the engine, or is the engine pulling the cars along? No, the engine is pulling the cars along. You see, and this is the way it is with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit pulls us along. I gotta make sure, and I gotta make sure, and I gotta make, gotta make sure. I just try, I try that church thing. It just doesn't work. Because the things that I would, those I do not, and the things that I would not, those I do. Is going to live in a life first internally by going after the Spirit. Number two. Number two. Let me me, before I give you that was number two. Let me get number three. Before I give you that one, let me give you this. It's not our output of the believer spiritually, but it's the outflow of the Spirit's presence. It's not the output of the believer spiritually, it is the outflow of the Spirit's presence in our lives. Number three, so we internally go after the Spirit. Number three, it's we intentionally go after the Spirit. Okay, so so listen to the implication, right? There's... There's the inference in the verse. Here's what he says. Walk after the Spirit. You hear the imperative? You hear the imperative? The imperative is walk after the Spirit. Don't walk that way. Walk this way. That's what he's saying. Don't go that route. Go this route. We should intentionally walk after the Spirit, we cannot miss the fact that our wills are highly involved in the process of being led by the Spirit of God to live a life that's pleasing to God. It implies consistency. It assumes that there would be difficulty. Every choice you make, look here, every choice you make, you are choosing whether you will live by the Spirit or whether you will live by the flesh. Lee Robertson, a very uh, popular preacher from several decades ago, used to ask his congregation this. He would say, are you right now, are you right now being led by the Spirit? Man, what a great question. Are you right now being led by the Spirit? As, as I preach a sermon, that's a, that's a great question to ask the pastor. 
And am I, am I right now preaching this sermon led by the Spirit of God? It's a great question to listen as, to, to ask yourself when you listen to a sermon. Am I right now being led by the Spirit of God as I listen to this question? When I, when I have that conversation over lunch, is this, is this a conversation right now that's, that's led by the Spirit of God? I want, I want to be led by the Spirit of God so that my life lives, so that my life is pleasing to God. I want to be led by Him. How do we do so? It's internal. It's intentional. It's recognizing that every choice you make is a choice to either live to the Spirit or gratify the flesh. There are certainly religious disciplines that we can put into place that help us do that. We've said this before. Maybe you're here, you're, you're a new believer. You're, you're not exactly for sure where to begin as a Christian. We've, we've given these kind of spiritual disciplines to help us along the way. We've said things like, man, you ought to give God the first day of your week. That's why we go to church on Sunday. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as we see the day approaching. So that as we see the end of it all getting closer and closer, we should be spending more time in church. What? Of course you would say that. You're the pastor. You should think we all should come all the time. Listen, it's my principle. It's the word of God. We should give God the first day of our week. We should give God the first five minutes of our day. And we should intentionally take time in our lives to make sure that before we begin whatever endeavor we have for the day, that we spend time in God's word. And then we said we should give God the first 10% of our pay, that we should give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. Why? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's why. That's why. He said, that's a, that's a wonderful place to begin your Christian journey. But what we also must understand is we are all at different places in our Christian journey. Some, some of you have been coming to church long enough, you should be doing way more than five minutes every morning. Some of you have been coming to church long enough that you should be stretching yourself and growing. And now you're not just giving tithes and offerings, but now you're helping to identify needs in the church. And here's a family that needs some help. And here's some missionaries I want to support. And I want to get behind the building project. And I want to help get a van in order to transport people. We should be stretching and growing in our own journey as we do what? As we walk after the Spirit. So there are religious disciplines, certain, certainly true, but we should, not, we should not neglect personal relationships with the Lord. I, I love how through the rest of this chapter, we'll get to it next week, the rest of this chapter, he talks all these family terms. He says sons, children, father, joint heirs, heirs. It speaks of a personal relationship with God. It's a personal relationship with God. Hear me on this. God is not after begrudging submission. That's not what he's after from you. God is not after begrudging submission. In fact, he sees right through it. He sees right through it. It's like me telling my kids, go pick up, their, go pick up your toys. Oh, I got to pick up my toys. Oh, oh. You think, you think as a parent, I'm like, oh, my children are so obedient. Look how they pick up their toys. This makes me happy. No. no see, God sees right through some sort of begrudging submission to him. 
You ask your kids, go clean your room. You walk up into the room 20 minutes later, you notice that, man, your daughter's been in her room, she's been cleaning, she's been working very diligently for 20 minutes. She's worked hard at cleaning her room. You went in the room, looked around, you notice there's still a toy here, some socks out under the bed over there. The sheet isn't pulled military tight so you can pop a quarter off the top of it. So what do you do? As a parent, you walk in your room, you see your kids, she's worked hard for 20 minutes, but the room being cleaned isn't perfect. You walk in there and go, this is a disaster. Look at these toys. And who made this bed? I could do a better job making the bed. And you call this a clean closet? <laughs> do it again. You do that? No, that's not a parent, that's a drill instructor. No, you walk into the room, the room's, your daughter's been in there working very diligently for 20 minutes. Is the room perfectly cleaned to the degree that you could clean it? No. But as a parent, what do you do? You go, I'm so happy. You, you worked very hard. Now let me show you how we can, we can do better. So when dad says clean the room, under the bed is part of the room. So we're gonna, we're gonna pull this out and we're gonna put these away too. And she's gonna go, oh, I didn't think under the bed counted in the room. It does, it does, that's part of it. And, and when dad says, I want you to make your bed, here's what that means. So I want you, I want you just to stack the pillows up because that's how dad makes the bed, just stack them up, right? And what are we doing? What are we trying to help her? We're trying to help her grow in her understanding of what we've asked her to do. I'm not after begrudging submission. Dad's making me clean my room. No, I want her, watch, I want her to want what I want for the room, not what she wants. You, you tracking that idea? And so it is with God. So it is with God. God could look at your life and go, oh, really? That's what you call a made bed? Oh, really? That's what, that's what you're going to do with that? You're going to sweep it under your bed? Oh, really? You're just going to stuff all that stuff in the closet? Like I didn't see it? No, no. God goes, let me help you grow. Let me help you learn. Let me help you understand how you mortify the deeds of the flesh. Let me help you understand how you walk in the spirit. Let me help you understand how you pay attention to my word. He's pleased with us when we want from our lives what he wants. Albeit imperfectly. Even though it isn't perfect, we want what he wants for our lives. So here's my question for you. Do you want what the Lord wants for your life? Or do you genuinely, internally, in your heart, with your own will and volition, say, I want what God wants. That's what I want. I, I, 
I want what he wants for my marriage. I want what he wants for my children. I want what he wants for my career. (laughs) Has there been a time in your life when you've asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you? Or you're just operating in the flesh, even religiously, just operating in the flesh? Why, Why be obedient to God, ultimately? Because Christ was obedient for us. That's why. Why be obedient to God? Because ultimately Christ was obedient for us. He took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If you're here this morning, you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You do not know your sins are forgiven. You do not know that you would have spiritual life. And our prayer for you this morning is that you would come to know Christ as your Savior. If you know Christ as your Savior, my question for you, my prayer for you is, are you walking in the Spirit? Do you want what God wants from your life?